Well, good morning, everyone. So when I walked into church this morning, I'm like, wow, what a homecoming. And then I realized it wasn't for me, but it's, it's all good. I'll take it. Uh, so good uh, to open up God's Word with you, and it's a joy for me to join in on the summer series on New Testament characters. And today we'll be looking at the life of Timothy. So the first time we meet Timothy is in Acts chapter 16 in the city of Lystra uh, during Paul's second missionary journey. So let's first take a look at verses 1 through 5, Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As he traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the church, churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So here we learn that Timothy was from a Jewish and Greek household and that his mom was a believer. Timothy had favor among the believers in his hometown and the neighboring city. And Paul apparently liked what he saw in Timothy so much that he wanted him to join him on his missionary team alongside Silas. But there was something that needed to be done before Timothy joined the team. He had to be circumcised. And uh, as an adult, that could be pretty painful. And if I were Timothy, I would have a whole host of questions like, Paul, are you medically qualified to uh, do this procedure? And imagine that being one of the prerequisites for joining a missions team. The number of male participants would plummet. But what's amazing about Timothy is that he goes through with it. Talk about commitment. And it's important to note here that Paul is not having Timothy circumcised as if it had any merits in regards to his salvation. But rather, Paul knew that if Timothy was to minister to the Jewish community, circumcision was the only way to be received as a full member of that community. It was a way for the physical sign not to get in the way of the preaching of the gospel. In a different context, like the one Titus was ministering, Paul actually recommends Titus not to get circumcised. In this context, the physical sign would have been confused with the preaching of the gospel. And so what I love about Timothy's story is how it's intertwined with the mission of God. We learn from Paul's second letter to Timothy that Timothy is a third-generation believer. It is most likely that his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois became followers of Jesus during Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. And we see in 2 Timothy 3.15 that Timothy was taught the scriptures from infancy. How amazing it must have been for Paul to see this young man grow in his faith and take the next steps to give his life for ministry. And there are two things that I want to comment on here. And the first is that all of our stories are intertwined with the mission of God. My great-great-grandfather first heard the gospel in South Korea from a missionary in the 1800s. And from there, the gospel has been passed down from generation to generation, and now down to my son, Isaiah, who's the sixth generation in our family. 
And if you look into your faith history, you can see how the gospel was passed down to you. Even our church, North Shore Alliance, and our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, all have a rich history in its connectedness to the mission of God. And the point is, whether you're a first-generation believer or a multi-generation believer, we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. We are part of the global story of God. We are part of the mission of God in seeing his kingdom come and his will being done to the ends of the earth. And the second thing I want to comment on here is that Timothy was taught the scriptures from a young age. It is a blessing to be taught about Jesus from a young age. Now, I always had a little bit of jealousy who had a radical conversion story later in life. You know, like the Apostle Paul from murderer to missionary doesn't get more radical than that. And, you know, whenever I was sharing my testimony, I was like, oh, I grew up in the church. How can I spice this up a bit really lean into my rebellious years? Uh, but the truth is, it is a blessing to grow up knowing about the scriptures. It's a blessing to have never known a time when I didn't know about Jesus. It's a blessing that there was never a time when someone wasn't praying over me. And the point is, whether you have a radical conversion story or you grew up learning about Jesus, it's all from the grace of God. Timothy was a man of character and commitment. He had an amazing start to his journey of following Jesus and became a part of Paul's inner circle. But Paul reminds Timothy that this work is not done. And what we hear in the letters to Timothy is a call to stay the course, a call to be faithful. So for the remainder of our time this morning, we will look at a few passages from First and Second Timothy and step inside Timothy's shoes as we hear the Apostle Paul's call to faithfulness. So the first way Paul calls Timothy to faithfulness is in his character, faithfulness in his character. We're going to read First Timothy chapter 6. Verses 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, So here we see this dual charge to Timothy, to flee from the love of money and instead to pursue godliness. To be clear here, the issue is not wealth, but the love of wealth and its pursuit at all costs and the serious consequences that follow. So why does Paul contrast the pursuit of wealth with the pursuit of godliness? 
To pursue and accumulate wealth as one's chief aim in life is really the pursuit of self-sufficiency. To ensure life, security, and worth by one's own hand. This is why Paul in verse 4 uses the word conceit to describe the character of the false teachers. They have no room left in their hearts for God. So opposite to conceit, we have contentment. And here for Paul, he calls Timothy to a God sufficiency. This is to acknowledge that our security, our life, our worth is found in our all-powerful, all-loving God. The call to godliness is recognizing that God is the ultimate giver, the total provider, and that the pursuit of godliness with contentment is a way for great gain, spiritual gain, life-transforming gain. And notice how the pursuit of wealth is for self and leads to harming self, whereas the pursuit of godliness is life-giving and for the service of others. Righteousness, gentleness, love, and peace are all ways in which we are called to love and serve one another. And it begins by finding our sufficiency in God alone. So what does your heart pursue? The big three pursuits in our world is money, sex, and power. Church Father Chrysostom writes concerning the pursuit of wealth, but I think we could also include sex and power, that it is a plague that so seizes all, some more, some less, but all in a degree. Like a fire catching wood that desolates and destroys all around, this passion has laid waste the world. And the truth is we are all tempted to shift our focus on where our security and our contentment is found. And if we're not careful, it can lead to harm of self and others. So how can we train our hearts to find contentment in God? We find a similar exhortation to flee from and pursue towards in Paul's second letter to Timothy. And notice what Paul includes again in this dual charge. So 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The Christian life involves actively fleeing from evil and actively pursuing righteousness, but the way that we do that is in the context of godly community. The way that we train our hearts to find contentment in God and the way that we can learn to flee from evil and to pursue righteousness is by getting together with a group of people who want to be serious about calling on the Lord. And this is part of my testimony. The seasons of the most significant spiritual growth in my life has always been in the context of godly community, where there was transparency, accountability, and a hunger to grow in Christ together. I loved my small group during my time at NSAC. It was one of the highlights of my week. It was a time to be spiritually refreshed. So if you're not in a small group, the fall kickoff would be a fantastic time for you to get connected, to gather with the people who want to call upon the name of the Lord together. 
So the first way Paul calls Timothy to faithfulness is in his character. The second way Paul calls Timothy to faithfulness is in his witness, in his witness. So let's continue reading on in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 12. So Paul writes, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. After charging Timothy to flee from false pursuits and to pursue godliness, Paul exhorts Timothy now to engage in battle. The two things Paul reminds Timothy of in this faith-filled warfare is to take hold of the good news and to stand firm in the good confession. To take hold of the eternal life is not only the faith exercised at conversion, but the ongoing faith to continue to believe in Jesus. And of course, eternal life includes the life that is to come, but it is to know God as well. John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know the true and living God. It is to know Jesus, not just an acknowledgement, but a relational commitment. To take hold of the good news is to commit to Jesus and to continue in his way. Second, Paul reminds Timothy to remember the good confession. This is to proclaim Christ. And perhaps Timothy needed a little extra encouragement for this because in Paul's second letter, he makes it a point to call Timothy to be faithful in his witness and not be ashamed. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 9. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, uh, gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And perhaps Paul, uh, Timothy, after hearing about Paul's sufferings and imprisonments, had second thoughts about standing firm regarding his good confession. And Paul encourages Timothy that the good confession doesn't naturally come about in his own strength. What is needed is the Spirit of God. It is God's power, God's love, God's enablement that allows us to be faithful in our witness. And at the end of the letter in 2 Timothy, once again, he writes another charge to stay the course. 2 Timothy 4.1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, a pastor and a missionary, he still needed encouragement to be faithful in being a witness for Jesus. And while many of you may not be in formal ministry, we are all called to be witnesses of Jesus. 
We are all called not only to take hold of the good news, but we are also called to stand firm in the good confession, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that in him there is life. And I love that verse, 2 Timothy 4, 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. This was not only the theme verse for the seminary that I attended, but it, this is the verse that reminds me of my grandma. She loved to tell people about Jesus. I remember she took my sister and myself out for dinner, and there was a young Japanese couple sitting beside us, and she starts speaking Japanese to them, and she goes on and on and on, and then I'm like, what was that all about? And she turns to us with a big smile on her face. I just told them about Jesus. She just loved it. And even till her last days in the hospital, she would be telling the nurses, do you know about Jesus? Let me tell you about him. She was a woman who boldly proclaimed the good confession of Jesus. And I wish I could say that I have her fervor and her boldness, but I have a lot of room to grow. But as Paul reminds us, this doesn't come through our own willpower, but rather it comes from the Spirit of God. And this is a prayer that God would love to answer in your life, to give you boldness, to give you courage, to give you the love to share with others. So you could pray, would you give me your power? Would you give me your love? Would you help me, according to your spirit, to be faithful in my witness for you? So the first way Paul calls Timothy to faithfulness is in his character. The second way is to be faithful in his witness And the third is to be faithful in his perseverance, in his perseverance. 1 Timothy, continuing on in chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So the third charge that Paul makes to Timothy is to persevere. And Paul points to Jesus as our model. Jesus, the one who made the good confession, even as it led to the cross. And as followers of Jesus, we are to keep the commandment, that is, all that Jesus instructs us until he returns. And perhaps Timothy felt a little jump in his stomach. He could read between the lines Jesus' good confession led to his suffering and ultimately to his death. And Paul also had a notable list of hardships that he's gone through in his life. The good confession is tied to suffering. But look at how Paul reminds Timothy to persevere. It's not through white-knuckled obedience. It's not a joyless endeavor. It's not a picture of hopelessness. Paul tells Timothy to look to Jesus. Paul reminds him that the fight, this present struggle, all the sufferings will one day come to an end. Jesus is coming. And I love how Paul takes a moment to break out into doxology 
and praise. It's like he can't help himself as he pictures the day that Jesus comes back. It's the return of the king, the one who is worthy, the one who is good. The way that we can persevere is to fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus. We will one day see Jesus face to face. How amazing will that be? We will look into the eyes of the one who loved us, the one who saved us, the one who's been with us, the one who's led us. And in the end, we will join with all of those witnesses who have gone before us, and we will gather to sing and to declare that he is worthy. Of course, we don't want to be believers who are so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly good, but we want to have a perspective that goes beyond the temporal and looks to the eternal. In 2019, uh, Kenya had changed all their old bills for new ones, and there were certain rules regarding the timeline when people needed to exchange out their old currency. And the largest denomination, the 1,000 shilling note, had a hard expiry date. So once that date had passed, the money would no longer have any value. It would just be a piece of paper. And uh, many locals in Kenya, they don't have bank accounts. And there were several stories of how some procrastinated or some were unaware of the hard expiry date. And they had lost their entire life savings. And I think this can be an illustration of the kingdom of God. The currencies of this world have an expiry date. They will one day cease to hold any value. Yes, we need to wisely use our resources in the time that is given us. But there is a new currency coming. And the only investment that lasts is anything that exalts the name of Jesus. And the fruit of that investment is seeing more and more people seeing, knowing, and enjoying our Lord Jesus and being and rejoice on the day he returns. So friends, how can we stay the course and live faithfully for our Lord Jesus? We seek to be faithful in our character. This is having a heart that finds sufficiency in God alone, to flee from false pursuits and to pursue godliness in the context of godly community. We seek to be faithful in our witness. This is to take hold of the good news, to know and grow in Jesus. This is to stand firm in our good confession and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And third, we seek to be faithful in our perseverance. This is to live with our eyes fixed on our Lord Jesus. It is to live a life filled with holy hope and confidence, to know that our present struggles, our sufferings, our battles will one day come to an end, and we will see him, Jesus, face to face. I'm going to invite our bands now um, as they will lead two songs, and I want to invite you to respond in prayer. Perhaps you can begin by asking the Holy Spirit to search your heart this morning and to reveal something for you to hold on to or to let go of or to confess. If you'd like someone to pray for you, uh, Val and Janice, 
will be at the St. George's exit, and they would love to come alongside you in prayer. Let's pray together to open up this time of response. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are worthy of our praise. And apart from you, we are unable to do anything. And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you empower us to live faithfully for you and in you? Would your spirit shape and mold our character? Would your spirit empower us and give us boldness to be your witness? And would you cause our eyes to be drawn to our Lord Jesus day after day and to follow hard after you? Pray these things in Jesus' name.